welcome to the Sports Loft podcast, and a special one this is too. This is going to be the Sports Loft annual review of how the Sports Loft think tank have managed to do in their predictions of how sports and technology are going to merge over each year. We have some esteemed guests with us in order to do that, but we'll get to that in a second. First, if you like what you hear today, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and give us a like or a rating wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to go to our website, sportsloft.co, and sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social at Sportsloft HQ. And speaking of Sportsloft HQ, we have managed to gather today two of the leading lights within Sportsloft to discuss the 2022 predictions and see how right or how wrong in some instances we have got them. So I'd like to welcome the following people to the podcast, the founder grandee, uh, grand vizier, uh, CEO, and any other massive title that you might want to choose uh, for Sportsloft, Charlie Greenwood. Charlie, welcome to your own podcast. And chief cook and bottle washer, I think is probably the, the other one to add to that list too. Always nice to be on your own podcast. And, uh, uh, and, and the actual brains, chief strategy officer, Andy Selby. Andy, how are you? <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. I think you've given me a bit of, promo- of a promotion there, but I'll take it. Uh, it's great to be on, excited to dive in and, and see how we're doing. <laughs> I'll, uh, I will happily bump you up from head of strategy to chief strategy officer, which is part of my prediction for 2023. Okay, so we're going to put that one in the bank and see how that goes. No offense, Charlie. So um, the format of this podcast is that we're going to look at last year's predictions and see how they stood up to reality. For those of you that don't know, Andy uh, writes a article every year looking at the predictions for the next year. And we're going to think about, did we miss anything in terms of emerging trends? And then we're also going to do a little bit of looking ahead to 2023, sort of uh, touching on some of the topics that Andy's going to cover in his uh, article this year. So we'll dive straight into it. So last year's predictions. Number one, demand for digital engagement between fans and teams is here to stay. And a little bit of a snippet from that was all about, obviously, COVID in 2021 meant that it was a massive limiting factor and people couldn't get to events live. And therefore, teams and rights holders uh, took a huge step in terms of moving towards more digital activations, whether it's for sponsors or for the club itself, in terms of uh, activating their uh, club um, assets, whether those are the players or, uh, or uh, experiences around fan meet and greets and user-generated content challenges. But the return of fans to stadium over the course of 2022 has, did not slow that down in any way. And much of the fan engagement has stayed online and continues to offer a scalable solution. So, Charlie, these were in the words of Andy, but I know that you two talked a lot about it beforehand. How do you feel that has stacked up over the course of this year? We certainly saw the pandemic spur a lot of sports leagues, clubs and broadcasters and and others to prioritise digital. Um, And for many of them, it was the first time that digital had really become a a discussion point at the C-suite level with a lot of these organisations. But it's not as if you suddenly flick a switch and say, great, we've got a digital transformation program now. We're really good at this. You know, these digital transformation programs, and we're seeing a lot of them at Premier League clubs, at national federations, you know, they take time. And if they're set up well, these programs really need to be ongoing. So the benefit of that 
is that just because fans have returned to the stadium, it doesn't mean that the digital thinking has stopped. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If anything, the demand from sports organisations that we've seen for innovative solutions has only increased further. And I think that's partly because they've now got the foundations to work from. You know, a lot of teams had to spend time putting the basics in place during the pandemic, and now they've been able to move uh, on from those and build on top of it. So we've seen a lot of event owners, for example, exploring new ways of helping fans purchase tickets and how they can best serve those fans during and after events. We've seen teams really trying to understand how they can personalise content uh, to serve up maybe a global fan base at, at scale. And we've seen, you know, for example, within the sales teams at sports organisations who are selling to brands and sponsors, they've really started to focus on what is known about their fan bases. Um, so I think a lot of these have been very significant steps on from pre-pandemic and immediately coming out of the pandemic. But I do think that actually that also has to be put in context of within the next 12 months, I think some of the big things that we're going to see are actually sports organisations themselves really working out how best to work with innovative technology companies. And in many cases, that's going to require different skill sets and different approaches to what they may have had before. Mm. Andy, you've been uh, you've been club side you've been um, investor side how have you experienced and have some of the people that you've been dealing with experienced that approach towards transitioning to digital and being able to offer all sorts of different uh, activations and experiences outside of the live experience yeah i mean i think there's quite a lot of variation between different sports organizations and where they're at in that digital journey um you know, I think somebody like City, my former employer, is very innovative and always trying new things. Whereas, you know, a bunch of the other Premier League clubs probably haven't got all of their fan data in one place. So, you know, taking ticketing, merchandise, and everything else, and having that three sixty view of a fan, some clubs have got that, but certainly not all of them. So, I think there's there's still scope for growth there. And I think actually, all of the private equity money we're seeing coming into sports organizations particularly this year uh is only going to accelerate that because the the increase in revenues and fan growth that they're expected to see a lot of that's going to be tech driven within a investor hat on i think that ultimately means that these technology companies that are selling into these sports organizations just become more appealing investment opportunities ultimately what if anything has surprised you or either of you about the continued scale of development in uh in amplifying and adding to the experience of live as people have come back um has there been anything that you've kind of said oh i didn't expect that to carry on quite as much charlie well i guess i'm i'm certainly glad that the fake fan noises in the stadiums are no more i certainly didn't like that but i guess rather than the thing that i'm surprised has carried on as much i'm more surprised in some areas of what didn't continue uh, i guess and I was surprised at how quickly everyone, at least in England, slotted back into accepting that not all the Premier League games would be televised all the time. <laughs> and I know this is much more of a commercial rights discussion than a technology one, but it felt very weird to going back to not being able to watch Wolves every game on TV and certainly factored into whether I was better off getting a monthly subscription or just paying on a game-by-game -game basis. Now, you could argue or question whether it would be a good idea to be watching every single Wolves game on TV, given how this has gone this season. But <laughs> overall, I'm surprised that you know fans didn't keep having that opportunity to do so. Hmm. And Andy, a few of our Sportsloft members have actually seen you know um, 
growing adoption and growing use cases uh, because of this transition. Um, talk a little bit about kind of uh, what has been particularly nice from a sports loss perspective and a sports loss member perspective about some of those companies being starting to be more embedded within the fabric of day-to-day -day operations of uh, clubs and rights holders. Yeah, so I think one of the trends that we pulled out in this section was around content and sports organizations really realizing that they're content organizations. And so taking Greenfly, for example, who are one of our member companies, the way in which they are taking photo and video content, sharing that around the organization, sharing that with players, part of that is an efficiency improvement, but it's also about improving the quality of content and the amount of that content and being able to leverage the reach that players have and not just the organization and ultimately the partnership benefits that brings. And I think the same is true for Tagboard as well. Again, content organization. It's about making that process of including graphics easier and reducing the sizes that the team needed to do that. But it's also about improving the quality of those graphics and the partnership and fan engagement opportunities that opens up. So all in all, how do you guys feel about that prediction and whether it has stacked up from 12 months ago? Yeah, I'd say it's stacked up. Although, to be fair, uh, I don't think it was also a revolutionary prediction either. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think if we hadn't put that one and uh, if we had thought that it was going to work out in some other way, I think we would have just been totally bonkers. There are some things which you can look at and just go, yeah, that's going to continue. The amount of investment that went in during the pandemic was always going to make that happen. And there was so much catching up that was starting up from the beginning of the pandemic period as well. So, uh, yes, I think it happened and we'd have been bonkers not to have actually said it was going to happen. So on that note, we'll move on to the second prediction. And it's this, this is an interesting one. Sports teams and leagues will deepen their relationship with gaming, um, which, is, which is an interesting one. And then the definition of gaming can also come into this, which is, which is exciting because you can expand that in a, in, in a myriad of different ways. But just to, give, just to give a little bit of context, we're talking about teams and leagues increasingly sort of waking up to the, to the value of, of gaming as, a, as part of the content strategy and as, part of, as an asset that they can actually utilize to engage with a new audience. Um, and as such, we should expect to see growth um, in the signing of gaming content creators to work with teams. So that's, that, that was from the prediction. Um, Andy, let's start out with the last question from the first one. How do you think that has stacked up? Has that been a desire not particularly achieved or has it been something that we've seen a lot of development in? So I think it's something where there are a number of, of organizations, you know, taking the Premier League, for example, Charlie's team Wolves have been very forward thinking on gaming for a while now. Um, my old team, Manchester City, hired, I think, the second FIFA player in the league. So I think the way that I looked at this as I made this prediction was that there are some organizations who've taken a forward step here and are getting value from that. I know that City does very well on a partnerships perspective with regards to esports. And so making the prediction was me saying, I think other teams are doing this and seeing success and others will follow. Um, I think particularly with the UK hat on, it's probably been a bit slower than I might have hoped or expected. But I think the flip side to that, of course, is, and we'll get onto this later in the podcast, is talking about activations in the metaverse and the realization that actually you know, a metaverse activation is activating within a massively multiplayer game. And so when we talk about the importance of gaming to organizations, I think 
there has been increased importance. I don't know that I've seen huge traction in terms of people doing more in esports. Um, I think that was probably something where if I was writing a predictions piece three years ago, I would have probably mentioned. But ultimately, the crux of the crux of this point I was making is that to engage within gaming, a professional sports team does not have to have professional esports athletes. I think actually, if you look at the most successful esports organization, a Face Clan or 100 Thieves, they are basically content organizations that happen to game competitively. And we had that realization at City being partnered with Face Clan. And so we said, okay, we need to do more gaming content, not just around professional play, but how do we create content that is about gaming? And one of the interesting takeaways from doing that was that the players were interested in getting involved in some of that stuff. The players loved Face Clan and they're all gamers themselves. So, you know, you saw Aguero streaming on Twitch playing FIFA and other games. So I think there's a lot of organizations that are still kind of doing baby steps around gaming, but I think where I would push people is it doesn't just need to be professional esports, like look at content and that some of that will be content you push out across YouTube and Twitch and some of it will be immersive content, you know, in a games environment. Well, one of the um, particularly interesting instances of this, of course, is, is the Twitch 4 uh, who came out of Formula One in lockdown, right? And the way that, am I going to remember all of them? Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lando Norris, and who am I forgetting? Anyway, the fourth one, I'm going to get shot by my motorsport counterparts, um, all made made a huge um, uh, name for themselves as a quartet through playing against each other. Charles Leclerc family, she came dressed up as a banana, and that wasn't necessarily playing the Formula One game, though some of it was, um, but it sort of engages audiences on different platforms. But then you also have teams jumping in with a very strategic approach or traditional sports um, uh, backers or figures like David Beckham or Mark Cuban jumping in with an equity approach to actually take stakes in, uh, in professional esports organizations. Charlie, expand on this a little bit and maybe jump a little bit towards the end of the podcast. Where do you see this going in the future? Do you see more of the we are a professional sports, uh, esports um, organization within our sport, like, you know, McLaren uh, simulated racing for uh, Mercedes for simulated racing. They're doing very well. They're doing very well out of sponsorship as well. Do you see it more as a content play and, uh, and working with influencers or across the spectrum? Well, I think partly there's a looking forward piece, but also when you look back at some of the context in which Andy put, put this together, the, the whole piece about where's my audiences, you know, I want to talk to different audiences and if I need, if I've got one audience group that's very successful around say uh, a football team, well actually do I want an audience that's around some other um, property which might be uh, you know another sport or another entity like gaming. They're all appealing to different audiences at the end of the day and you're building a collection of audiences that effectively you can then sell to somebody else and that's how you effectively are making that money. So, you know, for somebody like um, an ownership group to have a football team, a rugby team, a basketball team, an NFL team, and an esports team makes total sense in that sort of uh, context. But I think where you also get into really interesting pieces in terms of the audiences is when you get somebody like, um, you know, look at something like the NFL with uh, Amazon's Thursday Night Football and the Dude Perfect, um, you know, uh, broadcast where you're effectively taking it to a different audience again, in a different style and with, a, with the same underlying uh, concept. So you end up building lots and lots of different audiences that can all be served in different ways and then you come back to 
personalization and who should be part of which audiences. I think that is only going to increase. And I think there's going to be this slightly contradictory feel where there's only a certain number of people who have the pockets big enough to be able to effectively own all of those different audiences. But the technology is, is going to enable us to get really, really granular and you know, very personalized in how those different pieces target it. So actually, I think there's going to be some really interesting tensions there between sort of ownership, which gets very broad, and actually the audiences, which can get very, very granular uh, as well. Mm. And and speaking about those tensions um, and sort of a theme that comes from both of these predictions, um, you know, uh, Andy, you, you, you sort of touched on it when you were saying organizations aren't uh, necessarily focused on the growth of the audience and are start, sort of now starting to realize that they are content organizations. Historically, sports have been uh, accused of having a 12-month view on everything, right? And everything needs to produce a return within that 12 months. And therefore, you don't necessarily invest on building an audience, understanding your audience with a view to monetizing further down the line. Are we seeing a transition are we seeing a move? Are we seeing uh, rights holders starting to realize that actually if they want to start to continue to increase their valuations and actually explode those valuations, they need to start thinking differently and taking a longer term view on things like deeper relationship with gaming, on things like being more focused on digital and data and, and uh, connecting with their fans in a different way? Yeah, I, I think it depends. I think you know, we did a really good knowledge sharing session uh, with Mark Thompson from Burnley the other week. And, you know, that gave our member companies a real insight into the realities of running a football team in the championship. And I think whilst uh, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea probably have more budget to put towards, let's think about how do we capture fans, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now. This, there are some sports organisations where just the reality of where they are as an organisation is going to give them limited budgets and so actually i think can we get a return from this within 12 months in some instances is an entirely valid question to be asking um but i think certainly uh, some of the, the larger organizations you know that there is a you know going back to my point about city and like being willing to try stuff like it's important to be trying stuff and being willing to do something because there's going to be a payoff two to three to five years in the future um you know, it's the same as you've got to buy footballers for the team for the future, not just for the immediate next season. Um, I think the same, the same can be applied to fan growth as well. So moving swiftly on to our next prediction for 2022, which is that e-commerce becomes v-commerce. Um, what we're talking about here is uh, people being able to virtually view their goods um, through augmented reality and uh, being able to actually understand what they're going to look like, how it's going to fit, um, but, and virtually try on the clothing before purchase. Um, this does go to a larger point as well about the integration of augmented reality and gamification into, uh, into some of the traditional, um, traditional sports. But let's, let's zero in on the e-commerce becoming v-commerce to, to, to begin with. Charlie, how do you see our, uh, our prediction stacking up on that? Well, I guess the prediction was very much around the impact on of augmented reality in the in the shopping process, and you m mentioned being able to virtually try on clothing uh, as an example. I'm not sure that the AR fitting studio uh, has really landed yet in sports, although I I think it increasingly will, but I don't think it it has yet. However, where I do think it's got really interesting this year in sort of the e-commerce aspect is 
how you know e-commerce has become increasingly integrated into different activities and this isn't just about buying replica shirts it could be about ticketing it could be about experiences it could be about premium content so for example if you look at how teams and leagues have used uh, technologies such as tagboard to integrate qr codes into content that has directed the fans to specific locations to buy tickets or merchandising i think it's a really simple solution but one has worked really well in sort of bringing e-commerce into the broader sort of content proposition of a lot of, of rights holders i think another example is somebody like uh, disney providing disney plus members with access to exclusive sort of members only merchandise and i think it was around you could get members only star wars uh, don't think for a second that my kids haven't clocked that by the way (laughs) you know this is really interesting when you look at it and how organizations can add extra commerce or product related value into their memberships and i think building on that approach uh, football club memberships and especially junior uh, memberships is an area with a, a lot of potential for for doing things a bit differently um, going forwards. I guess where I do think we've seen AR, the AR element play into e-commerce is in more in ticketing and uh, also hospitality. So, for example, being able to see the view from your seat before you before you buy it, or being able to have a walk through of a hospitality area before deciding, yes, uh, you know, we want to we want to purchase that one. I think that's really cool, and that's being done without actually having to go to the venue. Um, so, I think that's really powerful, and I think there's a lot more to come around these. Let's call them virtual walkthroughs, effectively, and we're only really at the earliest stages of this, and I think we'll we'll see a lot more. Mm. So excellent example of using a uh, potentially slightly flat prediction to uh, expound on a very interesting topic. So well done. On that theme, Andy, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you about that broader topic of um, AR and VR and kind of which direction it's going in, um, even though this isn't specifically kind of what the prediction is about. Um, Give us your view on kind of how that... um, how sports leagues, clubs, broadcasters, um, uh, content generators are using uh, AR. Uh, let's stick with AR because VR is a slightly different uh, different topic. And uh, where have there been some good applications and what's the, what's the future for that? How have we seen it develop this year and where, where is it going? Yeah, so I think with, with regards to augmented reality, there's a tendency for people to just lean towards thinking about the consumer consumption wearing a headset and I think with regards headset penetration for AR and VR everybody is kind of hanging their hat on Apple bringing its products to market which is it's being developed and we expect to drop at some point in the next year or two and and that will be a key moment but actually augmented reality isn't just wearing a headset and seeing objects in front of me augmented reality is the BBC using a games engine to create graphics for the Olympics the Winter Olympics um, you know, and that blending of the real world and the digital world and having Claire Baldwin or somebody else talking about the Winter Olympics where there's uh, virtual skiers going past and, and reindeer and polar bears and everything else. So a, a very funny presentation on it yesterday. Um, but that is augmented reality brought into um, you know, the traditional broadcast space and that isn't wearing a headset, which I think when you know, we were thinking about AR and VR watching matches five years ago, it would have been, okay, so are people actually going to wear headsets to watch this sport? You know, I think headset penetration might get there, but, you know, this technology is still relevant, even if it doesn't. You can still have a 
immersive experience, a more immersive experience on a flat screen ultimately. Mm. Well, a great example of it is, uh, again, taking it back to the kids, uh, is the uh, augmented reality that they put around the Strictly Come Dancing shows in order to really enhance those with, you know, confetti falling, which you obviously couldn't do on a ballroom, but you can do with an augmented reality if it fits with the story of the dance, right? And it actually enhances the experience and, and gets people to stay and, and animates it. Right, one of the hottest topics, sports NFTs will need to offer community and utility. So uh, I, I don't think this one needs much explanation. Uh, NFTs were seen as a, as, as a short-term money grab um, by, a lot of, uh, uh, by a lot of folks, and in, in some cases absolutely were a short-term money grab, back to the point of you know quickly trying to generate additional revenue, especially in the downtime of COVID where the ticket sales were out and stuff like that. But the prediction is that they will need to offer more community and utility to become widely adopted and actually to become something that, that, that sports organizations can rely on going forwards. This, of course, was before the great crypto crash of 2022. So uh, very interested to hear the views, uh, starting with Andy, as to how this one is stacked up and what this year has brought in the wonderful, wacky world of Web3. Yeah, I think you're, you're right to, to start with pointing out you know, the general fall and continued fall of the value of cryptocurrencies because, you know, whilst NFTs are a, a different use of the blockchain, pretty much all these NFTs are priced in your cryptocurrency, right? And so if the price of Ethereum plummets, then the price of my NFT plummets without there being any material change in what that NFT allows me to do. So I do think that the fall in the price of crypto has impacted the value of existing NFTs, but also people's willingness to set off on new NFT projects, even where that might be a, you know, a club membership or similar. Don't get me wrong, there's some brilliant technology companies working on bits and pieces in the background, and I think there will be a process of working out the right time to launch something like this. But the other consideration here, of course, you know, talking with a few different Premier League teams who've been looking at this area is, how on earth do you launch an NFT membership that provides genuine meaningful rewards to the people who hold the NFT in a way that is not going to isolate or infuriate existing season ticket holders who are, you know, the authentic fans of a club. Why should I pull in a digital asset be entitled to something that a season ticket holder for 10 years shouldn't have? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes. I think on the club side, they need to be very careful about messaging of this. Um, and, you know, I think as, as, as a number of people says, a lot, a lot of this stuff will launch and the word NFT will be nowhere to be seen. And, um, you know, probably not the web blockchain or digital collectible or anything else. It will just be a seamless introduction of blockchain technology to the next generation of club memberships. Mm, absolutely. Um, Charlie, you and I met and bonded as uh, much, much younger uh, sports business executives, shall we say over uh, watching NBA highlights in London together. And obviously, NBA Top Shot is one of the shining examples that's always held up as one of the uh, projects that has led the way in this space. The make a buck quick uh, opportunity in Top Shot is gone, uh, obviously, but the, the, the utility is there, especially for people like me who grew up being uh, collectors of basketball and baseball cards. Sort of you get the transition from, okay, well, I, it's not a card, but I can own a moment and I collect it, I rip a pack, I open it the same way that I would have done a top deck or an upper, uh, uh, an upper deck or a Fleer or uh, any, of those, uh, any of those kinds of cards. 
how how do we think those kinds of projects are going to uh, develop over time? Um, because I entered it as a collector, but a lot of people see it as really building more of a community, which is a community outside of basketball. How do you see those projects uh, developing? I will point out that I entered as a collector and I'm currently taking a very cold bath, <laughs> but I'm continuing to hold. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's also an element between are you a collector or are you a speculator uh, mm. as well? And, you know, I don't think the act of collecting has gone away um, or I think it's changed. I mean, I remember getting my Panini albums from like 1983 and the 86 World Cup and all of those things. And actually where you could get a pack of six Panini cards for 3P that my dad would give me and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's not 3P anymore, that's for sure. But the... You know, the act of collecting and actually whether it necessarily needs to be a moment, like you kind of described there, uh, with a particular happening like a LeBron dunk or something like that, or indeed just I've got this particular player card, that is still there. But, you know, for lots of kids, like why should I need to have a big paper thing that I need to be lugged around where actually I can just have it effectively in a wallet on my on my phone? That act is still there and people still want to do it. I think it's about supplying a really good way that people can engage with it using the technology that's that's there. Um, so I think that is uh, that I think can be a really powerful use case uh, around it. I think where it starts to struggle a little bit more is actually when you look at okay, so where it's largely being put in place because or oh, I can have an NFT associated with this club. Well, what do I actually get for it? Well, there's nothing that's actual value coming back to you, and I think that's a bigger problem. I do think, though, I mean, if you look at everything that's happened with, you know, in the last few months with various just plummeting of prices, exchange exchanges failing, etc., there is no great um, sort of groundswell of goodwill around sort of the, the crypto uh, world at all at the moment. And I think it's very easy to get very cynical about NFTs as a result. But I think it also has to be put in the context of I think the hype curve around NFTs has just been ridiculous ridiculously short you know let's say 12 18 months ago there were very few people were talking about nfts then all of a sudden it becomes this massive thing that loads of people within the sports industry but also more broadly like i need to learn about nfts i need to know what it is and there's definitely you know case of the blind leading the blind in many cases uh, around it and you know you'd got bits where it was going from nobody having heard of it to all of a sudden this is the great next great thing within three six months and then all of a sudden that hype crashing away again within a very short period of time so you know you could get a hype curve of that might previously have been five years but it's now been compressed into about nine months and that in itself produces some really erratic behaviors uh, both in terms of the companies that are involved in that space and how do you build for the long term and from an investment point of view, actually, how do you get investment return for the long term that's not, that's not more than a play purely around timing? Um, and I think that's really important. I think I had a really interesting experience uh, over the summer. I was on the, the west coast of the States meeting with a, a couple of VCs there. And one of them said to me, he said, oh, I've looked through the company list at Sportsloft and you don't have any NFT companies. That is the best call I have seen this year that you don't have any NFT companies. And I rather, rather flippantly said, yeah, well, we only work with companies that are useful. 
and now it's been a little bit um a bit tongue-in-cheek um and so after i'd sort of you know we talked about that for a little bit but then you think two maybe a month two months prior we were receiving emails every day effectively saying hey we've been looking through your group of pop companies and you don't have any NFT, nft companies we think that's a huge miss and we should be that that nft company now are we saying within one or two months that it just changes so rapidly which is basically what happened and i think that's in itself is worrying because you come back to where do you build long-term value around it but the where i do think it does get interesting and you know i think we're going to talk about metaverse again a little bit in a, in a minute but when you look at if we start to say okay there are all these virtual worlds that start to get built and then as part of those if they're to be successful things like identity and who has access gets really really important and actually i think it's things like nfts in terms of you have the right of access into this particular world into this particular experience because it's uh, established on the blockchain or all of the all of those good things then actually i think then it has has an important role to play it just doesn't necessarily need to be as part of a speculative um type uh, environment hmm. yeah and one thing i would i would say on the back of that is i think one thing that people are if i'm looking at the valuations for nft companies whether it's risen nft platform or you know the nfts themselves there's a lot of assumption that the trend of connecting Panini stickers, which is something that everybody has done. And if you look at the valuations for these NFT platforms, there is an assumption that that will become a behavior bigger than the existing Panini you know, sticker or card collecting business. It's a look how many football fans there are in the world. If we can get this proportion, like the actual act of collecting cards, you know, people do it as kids, but as an adult, as an adult, it's, it's obviously a big market, but it's, it's not a dominant behavior, right? Mm. It's a, it's kind of like a niche of that fandom. And I think there's almost been this assumption that, oh, well, if we digitalize it, more people will get into this behavior of collecting these things. And that's only going to happen if the experience of owning them and trading them and making use of them is more enjoyable than other forms of media that are available. And so if I'm looking at the collection of NFTs and you know the ecosystem that exists around it, yeah, maybe I would engage with that, but like that has to be more enjoyable for me than you know a gaming experience or a media experience. And um, it it can't just be about being the best digital collectibles platform. It's like it, it's got to be more engaging than what the other alternative means of spending money or spending time are. So just when I think I'm becoming mainstream, I can come back onto the Sports Loft podcast to be called niche. I love it. Bring me back down to earth. Um, let's let's wrap up this segment with the final one, which Charlie, you've already foreshadowed, and obviously is very very much linked to what we just talked about. The prediction was sports brands are entering the metaverse. I'm 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 going to take a pot shot here and say that that, that wasn't the grandest prediction of uh, or the bravest prediction of all times, but. It obviously offers a lot of interesting conversation about how things have gone, and and I'll start just by using the uh, using the words of the inimitable James Watley, who is uh, chief strategy officer over at the Diva Agency, who says the metaverse doesn't exist, and anybody who tells you that it does is a beep idiot. Actual title of a slide from a speech that he gave in front of two thousand people. Let's unpick that first, Andy. Obviously, this was very accurate. How was it accurate, and what are we seeing? So I, you know, one of the lines I think we said in the prediction was 
expect to see lots of teams announcing that they've entered the metaverse. <laughs> and I think like I'm 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 kind of pleased that we made that prediction in that I think it was it's almost an indicator of that so many of the organizations that are getting involved in this space were doing it for all that headline. It wasn't so that we'll have sustained fan engagement. It was I want to be able to have a headline which says that my organization has a presence in the metaverse. And if you look at the the depth of companies that have, you know, got a presence in the central land or the sandbox, which are platforms that ultimately haven't really built a user base yet yet to justify that investment. There's a lot of companies who have done that for the headline. I think as I'm thinking about the metaverse and involvement in that, I'm like, stop talking about what the metaverse is and the definition of it and everything else. What I'm interested in right now is fish where the fish are. There are mul massively multiplayer games like Roblox or Minecraft or, you know, I was playing RuneScape 15 years ago that was a, a multiplayer game. There are gaming spaces that sports properties can create content around. But in the case of something like Roblox, they can actually have a presence in that game. And Roblox, the developer, is happy for brands to exist in that space. And they're happy for creators to create stuff and make money. And so when people are talking about what should I be doing in the metaverse, I would say there are games right now that have an existing player base. And in a lot of instances, they're going to be very desirable demographic. Fish where the fish are. And do, you can do activations in these games right now. And let's see what happens with the development of new games and whether they're blockchain based or not going forward over the next couple of years. Very much so. Charlie, what's your view? I mean, I think the it comes back to a lot of what we talked about earlier about audiences and why people are looking at different formats and uh, different genres around attracting different audiences. I mean, effectively, if you say that, and I think like a, a big Venn diagram, Roblox has got one certain audience, the football club's got another audience, what's the overlap between them? And actually, is that a sizable enough group uh, that's interesting to serve? Uh, between them or indeed actually is this a way for the football club or whatever uh, property to go and actually attract newer and younger audiences that are not necessarily part of their fan base and it's a way of building that up so I think it all comes down to audiences in that sense I think the other part of it though is you've seen uh, a number of sports organizations who are sat there going okay so yes we understand that it's about new audiences but does it work for us commercially to go and do this and an evaluation as to whether there's a commercial benefit from going and doing it and in many cases it's not they're not going to get necessarily paid uh, to be on there but like they might with some other platforms or indeed it might not be that there's enough direct sales of merchandise or whatever to actually make it uh, really worthwhile in itself so then you have to say well it's a longer term play about building audiences and building new fans and engaging with those fans in different ways that you can then engender fandom over a lifetime and things like that and that's I think it's important that people are understanding where the value is rather than going into it with a misapprehension of oh it's going to solve all our different problems um, but I think you know you see a lot of the smartest rights holders are really thinking through where the benefits are and actually how they uh, can use it. 100% and what I would say following on from that is I think when teams and organizations have made the decision of oh, TikTok's a new thing, should we be on TikTok? Snapchat's come out, should we be on Snapchat? I don't know that those decisions were made with can I make my money back on this within 12 months? I think that was a view of there's a big enough user base there to suggest this is a big thing and it's going to continue to grow. There'll be a long-term benefit from being present, present in that space. 
and I think treating different gaming environments more like social networks is, you know, is, you know, if I'm going to jump ahead to trends that we're seeing for next year or the year after, I think that is that is something I would expect. How dare you? How dare you break the flow of the podcast? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, like. I, th I think a lot of these games have very similar characteristics to what we're seeing on social media. So it's a space that people are going to speak with friends. And gaming has been that for a long time, right? I was in sixth form college playing Call of Duty on Xbox Live, talking with friends. But that experience has only got better now. Better internet connections make online multiplayer games more accessible. And so I think with the emergence of, of something like Roblox, and you know, I'm careful in saying emergence because Roblox as a game has actually been around for more than 10 years at this point. But, it, but a game like that, that is willing and accepting for brands to come on and be present in that space or looking at how Epic have allowed that to happen with Fortnite as well. Those are spaces where it's possible to have a presence and fans are in those spaces, whether you're there or not. And so I think in a lot of instances, sports entities are gonna look and say, we need to have a presence in this space in the same way that we decided we needed to do that with TikTok a couple of years ago. Uh, let's move on to our predictions for 2023 because we have wrapped 2022 in the predictions that we made. And I think fundamentally what we can say is that we can give ourselves a bit of a pat on the back on, on having seen a few things and, uh, and predicted them correctly. With that in mind, Andy's already talked a little bit about the metaverse and what it means uh, and what it's going to look like going forward into 2023. Charlie, what have you got for us? Well, I guess Andy's already talked very eloquently about predictions for the metaverse and specifically how sports organisations are going to become much more active across gaming and virtual worlds. And I, I think that's absolutely right. I think from a sports loft perspective in 2023 in this area, we're going to be looking closely at companies that can help sports organisations and content owners really navigate environments such as Roblox, Fortnite and whatever the next big thing is. As for another trend, I think there's going to be a whole load of change in the broadcast and streaming space in the next 12 months. And I think we're going to see a number of sports organisations go much more heavily towards a direct-to-consumer approach. It's a trend that's been building for a while, but I think we're really going to start to see it coming to fruition now. And that's going to require a whole different skill set and approach than sports organisations have traditionally had. And indeed, a whole different vocabulary with notions of churn and subscriber retention and things like that. So view through a sports loft lens, I'm really excited to see what technologies emerge that can help these new direct to consumer propositions grow and help content owners manage that churn and subscription. So I think there's going to be some really interesting products that uh, come to the market around that. I'd also add though one area that we didn't pick up really when writing the trends to 2022 was the contrast in the market for funding. And there were some real contradictions uh, going on at that time. There were some valuations that were, I guess, you can best describe them as stratospheric, but also there was also a very challenging broader market for funding too. And I think going into next year, the general market consensus is clearly that raising funding is going to be harder. Whether that translates into fewer companies getting investment or lower valuations across the board, I think that still remains to be seen. However, I think strong propositions are still going to get funded. You know, those breakthrough, cut-through ideas are still going to be the ones that get the attention. But I also think there might just be less unicorn hunting going on uh, and more focus from VCs on good businesses that are solving genuine problems and indeed have business models that stack up. I was on a call just today, actually, where we were talking about a valuation business model and we had a 3% assumption on inflation 
And somebody said, we really need to look at that and revisit it and think about how it applies across the model, right? And and the reality is that it's because of the compounding, you put it up even 1% and it has a pretty drastic effect on the valuation. So in the context of the current economy, I think that's all going to have a, a, a massive impact on how money is looking at opportunities and, and, and how they structure it. Um, to take one of the famous words from one of the sports loft uh, briefing notes, you know, I, I don't think the market is going to be as frothy uh, as it has been previously. Um, I think I'll allow myself one prediction as well, which is slightly off the back of that, which is that, and this is not for top tier rights holders who have uh, a lot of space to grow in their traditional revenue streams whilst adding new potential ones, but I think a lot of the smaller to medium size rights holders are going to be looking to see how they can actually really monetize their audience and their dedicated audience a lot more because a lot of the audience will be practitioners of the sport that they're participating in and really looking to uh, really really rabid as a fan base and i think we'll see a lot of smaller rights holders trying to capitalize on that in terms of building a direct to consumer proposition not just around the content itself but around the entire ecosystem and seeing how they can actually engage with that audience and monetize that audience through microtransactions of all kinds whether it's just to be able to book flights and hotels as they go to the uh, uh, as they go to events or actually selling them gear for whatever sport they want to participate in to selling them uh, training courses and uh, and opportunities to interact with pros just all sorts of things like that where they get the best out of uh, their fan base and monetize that not with big ticket items but with multiple smaller ticket items across the entire uh, the entire value chain so I think that sort of is something that's going to be coming down the uh, down the pipe a lot of um, uh, a lot of opportunities. So with that, uh, I'd like to thank both of you for your bravery in coming here to defend your 2022 predictions and in making 2023 predictions. We look forward to the full article uh, coming out um, on the Sportsloft website in a, couple of, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks. So make sure that you check into sportsloft.co to uh, read that when it comes out. Subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss it when it does. And make sure you give us a like and subscription uh, to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social at sportsoft.hq. All that remains for me is to say a huge thank you to uh, our two guests, the grandee, Charlie Greenwood. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Yanni. And uh, Andy, thank you very much for being on the podcast as well. And I hope my other prediction for 2023 comes true for you. Absolutely. Appreciate that, Yanni. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time in the Sports Loft. Goodbye. Goodbye.